Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. We're doing a news and pickup show for you this Tuesday, so we'll cover some news and gossip, plus pick up on a few points missed or raised from our race review on Sunday, and then we'll look forward to the season closer in Abu Dhabi as well. I'm joining you from Barcelona again today, and for those of you concerned that I'm doing this stuff, these podcasts, and sacrificing time with my family, honestly, don't worry, they're super lame. They've all gone to a building that's just full of drawings and paintings, and some of those paintings aren't even new. They're like super old paintings. It hasn't been updated for ages, Um, so I'm better off here with you guys, and I'm glad we get a chance to kind of sit and, and have another crack at reviewing what we did, because when you review an hour or an hour and a half after the race ends, you do tend to make the odd mistake. Sorry, Mr. Sonoda. But we are still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed, sort of. The shed was never a building. It was an idea. It was a dream. I have the begrudging holiday permission of my better half, and we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Hey, Matt. Where in the world is Kevin Magnuson? <laughs> he got abandoned like the other Kevin from that movie at Christmas where they abandoned the Kevin because they didn't love him and he eventually accidentally got reunited with his family after only just surviving an unrealistic encounter with two incompetent burglars. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. We're also joined by streamer Scott Stuffy Tuffy. How's it going, Scott? 
Hey, Spanners. If this weekend is not included in next season of Drive to Survive, I am not going to be happy. <laughs> so much drama. It's like your soap operas. It's like your Towie that you love so much because that's filmed right next to where you live and you love it and everyone you know is like that. Disclaimer, I am not part of the cast and I am not a fan. <laughs> and we're also joined by the universally popular Bradley Philpot. How's it going, Brad? I can't believe you're referring to your luxury hotel room as the shed still. <laughs> yeah, it's all a lie, isn't it? But I would not normally allow somebody to join me from a dodgy hotel room from an iPhone. But because you're so universally loved by the map audience, I have to just get your time whenever I can. This is a good one to be on because there's so much stuff that's happened oh. in the last few days and I can't wait to chat to you about it. Uh, th- there's absolutely uh, loads of stuff that we can pick up. I mean, it will go back a little bit into the Verstappen-Hamilton incident, but not specifically that. But I think the racing rules around it, Brad did a brilliant video on that um, and some, some previous comparisons as well. But I think the first thing we do is fire into a little bit of news. Big Dirty News. The first news relates to a managerial appointment and there is a bit of a tradition and I think it's mostly come from English soccer where when a manager gets a a vote of confidence from the football chairman, that normally spells the end of that manager's reign. So, you know, there'll be rumours about, say, Alex Ferguson leaving Manchester United and then the, the board of directors will come out and say, the Manchester United board has complete confidence in Alex Ferguson and look for, looks forward to a, a bright future. And we do have a similar situation with uh, Ferrari. Uh, let's go to uh, Stuffy here. Stuffy, Ferrari have come out and dispelled the, the rumours from Italian media that Mattia Bonotto is being replaced with Fred Vassour. So we can put that to bed because Ferrari have completely denied it. Yeah, this is a bit of a surprise this afternoon. But if I'm honest, it's about bloody time. Um, personnel changes at Ferrari has been needed all season and Bonotto hasn't been at the last three races the American swing he's the only team principal that has missed all of the three races Um, and yeah um, it's welcome news for Ferrari fans if you ask me welcome right okay so that's interesting because I don't think we have any Tafosi on the panel although we're very inclusive we we would we would accept a Tifosi if one were to come along. Um, however, it's interesting from a, a non-Ferrari supporter point of view, we all kind of think, yeah, maybe we've been calling for perhaps a, a look at how the management structure is run all season. But I do wonder, Matt, if Ferrari supporters, like how do they feel about Bonotto? Is he popular in Italy, do we think? Is he popular in Italy? Um, I don't know, actually, not being Italian, but I can tell you that the he's not popular with the Italian media because they're the ones who strongly reported that the decision had been made and it was Vassour coming in. In my opinion, I think you really hit the nail on the head, though, when you talked about management structure and not management. I mean, after all, Bonato has already overseen Ferrari going from the worst power unit post uh deal with the FIA where they didn't admit to doing anything wrong while actually explaining to the FIA everything they did wrong in <laughs> extraordinary detail to uh, coming back and, and really fighting with Red Bull up until the regulation change 
pretty much scuppered all their chances um, post-spa, I would say. And yeah, it's not perfect. But, you know, he's overseen a, a, yeah. a pretty big renaissance at Ferrari since then. So, yeah, so if you look at, like, the Alonso era, and even with, with Vettel, and I, I say, look at the Alonso era, and it was kind of dead. And that was Ariba Vene, wasn't it? During that kind of Alonso time before he went to... I don't know, when did Bonotto take over as team principal? You need to throw some dates out. But I think my general point is that that kind of resurgence where they were fighting against the really dominant Mercedes car what was under Bonotto. And then again, obviously they took that big hit. They've come back to the front and come up with a potentially championship winning car, a race winning car. It feels like it's only this season, Brad, where they've been really been hounded as, oh, you know, messing up so much on the tactics. We've had that phrase, Ferrari gonna Ferrari for for a while, but but surely he didn't just like press a button and just change all the, the, the strategy and how it's all made this year. I, I don't know. I'm struggling to put it all specifically on him, but clearly a change is needed. So Bonotto came from a technical background, uh, as far as I'm aware. So he wasn't a, he wasn't necessarily a, a team manager. He probably managed a big technical department and him, he himself was a specialist, but it really is, like you say, the tactical errors that make this, ferrari meme perpetuate the the whole ferrari are going to mess up and it's not a surprise every time uh, a tactical or a communication error happens on the pit wall I, I don't know how much of that is binotto himself but the fact that it hasn't been rectified and we've had so much time for it to be rectified is maybe the bigger problem where every time you have a new issue it's it's been so long since these issues began. You'd think there would have been enough time for him to put a system into place to fix it. I think when you look at leaders, I know you've said before on a podcast that team principals don't necessarily have as much influence over what happens throughout the race itself. Yeah. But leaders have to give off an air of confidence and something that the Ferrari drivers all season just don't seem to have confidence in their strategy team, their pit crew, anything. And Bonotto, even in interviews afterwards, trying to explain some of the decisions that have been made throughout races, you're just sitting there going, I'm not convinced whatsoever. Where you do get that from Christian Horner, from um, Toto Wolf, you get that from other team principals and not him. And sometimes it doesn't matter if you've been loyal to a company before, not everyone is made for management, and I just don't think Bonotto is that person to at, lead at this Ferrari very, forward. very top, top, top level. Yeah, it's an interesting point because yeah. both um, Wolf and Horner, when that something has gone wrong, do tend to go, "Oh yeah, we got we got this wrong. We we could have gone in that direction," and that's a completely normal and acceptable thing to do. I've always had this feeling at Ferrari that you you can never admit failure. So yeah, Bonotto comes in after what is a clear disaster, and then goes, "No, no, no, it it, it was mostly fine. Yeah, sure, a little thing out of our control." And then even when Mercedes made a an error a couple of races back, where they they went onto the higher tire and it didn't suit them, I think was it was it Cota where Matt where they ended up basically volunteering to be a step harder than Red Bull when they didn't really need to be. But uh, whichever race it was, uh, Bonotto pointed to that and said, see, how come we don't get the same flack uh, for a strategic error? (laughs) You know, you know, well, maybe because it's been so, so, uh, you know, endemic and it's permeated, permeated throughout your season. Uh, But, but I think Staffy's right, Matt, like Bonotto has, has been top cover for his guys 
but to the point where it, it, it deviates from reality too much. Okay, so I, I like this narrative because like he, he made the sly point that Mercedes themselves were on wrong tires recently. So Ferrari, yeah. Ferrari, let's start with that. That is a media trope. If Ferrari makes any mistake, it feeds into a long-standing yeah. narrative about Ferrari making mistakes. That said, I want to pose an interesting alternative to you. Um, I, I want to start with the comms that Brad pointed out. And I'm thinking specifically that that's a big clue. The radio messages I heard between Leclerc and his engineer, where he spent the entirety of an outlap asking for an answer oh about it's yeah. being dry. And they were unable to give it to him until it was too late. So I like the idea that, that deep inside this problem, there's a fundamental failure in how they're communicating. It's, it's like they're still sitting there at a switchboard plugging things in instead of typing on their WhatsApps and getting immediate answers. There's something wrong there. But what I really want to bring up is how in charge is Bonato? Maybe someone has been there longer than him and has protection in a way that means they are untouchable. Maybe there are people inside Ferrari that Bonato things that he cannot fix without permission of his higher up. And are we possibly seeing that instead? Oh, so he's just like the general is what you're saying. And there's a dark, there's a dark force behind Bonato. And he's just yet another disposable general like Ariba Vene and Dominicali. Well, not even a dark force. This happened to me in real life. I had a very high profile gig with someone who was hired on but someone who'd been uh, a lower position for 25 years got the guy that hired me fired after two years because they didn't get on. Uh, I've seen this happen before, and I do wonder if that might be the case at Ferrari. Brad, this is how like Kyle is secretly in charge of Missed Apex, but everyone thinks it's me. Yes, yeah, so this is interesting. So Matt's suggesting that there's someone lower down the pecking order, maybe in the strategy or pit wall communications team, because they're the ones that seem to constantly get stuff wrong or, or do a bad job of whatever it is, you know, have the wrong tires out or, or just make the wrong call. And, and they stay there. I haven't heard of any key firings in that department. Maybe we wouldn't hear about it. But think about the times when Ferrari have had particularly good calls this year, or they've had a good result because of a good strategy call. It's normally been Carlos Sainz that's made the good call. Swap the positions at Silverstone. Stop inventing. Stop inventing. It, it order gets ignored and he wins the race. Uh, at Monaco, they tell him to change tyres and he says, no, 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 he takes control and he doesn't win the race, but he, he finishes much higher than he would have done. So it, it does seem like it is the strategy department that is is the issue. I'm, I love this. I love this line of thought. Well, yeah, because if you look at the technical side of it, they've come into 2022 with the best car since 2018. So a genuine championship contender. I didn't think that we were going to come into this show and essentially be defending Bonotto. Like, I thought it was going to be all, like, knives out. But I, I've done a bit of a, a U-turn here and gone, oh, maybe we, we, we can't blame him. But does that mean that changing the team principle would essentially be useless? And yes, I am having this conversation on the premise that all those rumours are definitely true. So that, that's what I'm going for at the moment. Obviously, it is speculation. Brad, is it useless to change the team principle if what we're speculating is correct? If what Matt has posed there is correct, then maybe it is useless and maybe maybe it needs someone with more authority. But that is just a hypothesis. And there's every chance that Bonotto is just not the best person manager and has been avoiding firing those people or hasn't 
hasn't looked deeply enough into the issues there and has, and has kind of treated them all as one-offs and maybe he's being too forgiving about the situation so it could also be true that Matt's entirely wrong here and that a stronger manager with uh, more either more managerial experience or just more confidence in in their ability would have just got in there got down and you know got deep into the problem and fixed it replaced the people that need replacing uh, and maybe that's what um, maybe that's what Vasseur could do if he does ultimately come in. Yeah, I, I think something that's just popped into my head, I've been calling for them to make personnel changes all year. I think it's been quite obvious that some people in there need to be rotated out of Ferrari. But I'm not sure if it does fall underneath it, but they would most likely have to make those guys redundant or uh, give them severance packages, which would then fall into the cost cap. So they've been stuck with the personnel all year and had to make do with the team they've got until that then rolls over mm. again and they can manage their budget, just or balancing their budgets. That's just something that just popped into my head. Maybe that's a possibility, but clearly uh, Bonotto, it's, it's got too far for him. Oh, are you all ready for some British bias? I'm about to lay it on. But I think Ferrari and Sauber and Alfa Tauri are in a, a, a slightly more difficult position in terms of hiring staff than, say, the, the seven British-based teams. So it's seven British-based teams. And then in Switzerland, you've got Sauber, which is currently Alfa Romeo. And then you've got uh, two it's Italian-based teams, so Alfa Tauri and Ferrari. Is Alfa Tauri based in Italy? Oh, suddenly yes. I've got a moment of doubt. Okay, they are. And, and if you look at the Italian management, they have got a, a basically a, a string of, of internal hires, so Dominicali, Italian, Ariba Vene, Italian, and, and then now uh, Mattia Bonotto. So if the rumours are true and they're going for Fred Vassour, where, where's Fred Vassour from? He is Austrian? Swiss, maybe? Swiss, okay. Swiss, yeah. I think. So, yeah, um, so that is also hiring from kind of outside of their system as well. And you might go, okay, well, if it hasn't been working hiring from within and staying loyal to your crew, hiring from outside might be okay but you are you're at a disadvantage if you're Ferrari because you're not necessarily going to get the same pick of personnel that um and I'm sorry I'm completely forgetting about Renault but they're based at Enstone but you're not going to get the same pick of personnel that that Red Bull and Mercedes are going to get looking at that kind of mile patch in Milton Keynes so I I don't know like I feel for them but it, they are making this distinct change okay let's move away from from an internal hire if we go with Vasseur Matt and then Brad well, uh, Vasseur is only a sort of move away because Alfa Romeo is owned by the Stellantis Group, which Johan Elkan, who runs both Ferrari and Stellantis, owns. So it's more like he's being promoted from the uh, minor league team to the major oh, nice. league team yeah. as manager is what I would I would I would posit that as. But I think you're right. You've identified a key problem for any team outside the UK getting personnel to move abroad and be part of that team. And we've seen that at Ferrari before. Was it uh, James Allen or James Key? Sure. Who? Yeah. Allison? Allison, yeah. yeah. So I was going to basically just um, agree with Spanner's point. And I had Matt um, on a bit of a tour of F1 teams at one point when he came to the UK. And you probably remember just how many we managed to visit in the hour and a half or so that you had <laughs> with because they are all so close. You know, we managed yeah. to go to Red Bull and Mercedes, and I don't think we quite hopped all the way over 
to, oh, he might have even been to Haas in Banbury at the time as well. Obviously, Aston Martin would have been racing point at the time. And we managed to do all that in one little car journey. We could have gone further afield and gone to Endstone, which is only another 20 minutes. So when you're looking to pick F1 staff, you've, if, if you're in that area, if you're living in that kind of hour radius, people are willing to travel. People are willing mm. to commute that kind of distance. But when you're in another country, you really are restricted to people that live in that country. Ferrari are nowhere near any other teams and, and neither are Sauber. You're looking at outside of Formula One at that point to other motorsports. We're being schooled that uh, Fred Vasseur is actually French. So thank you to our patron live chat for correcting us on that. And no, Matt, that's not basically Swiss. Please, this isn't America land where you're all exactly the same. Uh, stuffy. It's not just the location, but it's the language barrier. That's something that limits them. In other sports, how many UK national managers have been successful abroad? Yeah. Very few because there's that massive language barrier there. And that's the same with the Italian teams. At least with Haas, who are based in the US, we speak the same language. So people can, if they want to, relocate there. But Italy, yeah. that Ferrari is an Italian-speaking team. And if you go in there as an English speaker, then you have to learn the language. And that's a barrier that <laughs> yeah. a lot of people don't want to cross. I, I know look, I'll forgive the Brits a little bit because, you know, learning a second language is most valuable in Europe. If it's English, sorry, that is just the stats bear that out. But obviously we've been traveling um, and we're currently in uh, northern Spain and we're watching the, the, like a waiter in a restaurant go from speaking Spanish to Catalan to French to English depending on who's on the table and we do feel like idiots but that is just part of our, our culture and there's a slight disadvantage to learning languages when when your language is is universally spoken for example in business so but yes if you want a, a British engineer to go and slot into an Italian speaking uh, uh, factory you you are going to to have a little bit of an issue and a problem there I think we do need to move on from uh, Ferrari and I'm sure you know this rumour will be confirmed or denied the moment we release the podcast but it's time for me to issue uh, an apology to Yuki Tsunoda who I know uh, tunes in very regularly and is a staunch listener to Mist Apex he might even be a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex um, I, I'm sure I saw Yuki Tsunoda pop up there but I gave my Mist Apex award to Yuki Tsunoda being hopelessly out of position in the, the safety car and, and really I I feel disappointed that I did that because with even uh, the most casual thought, it should have been obvious that that wasn't down to the driver. So I think it turns out basically, you know, he's acting on the information from his engineer, which is also from the FIA. Can anyone on the panel give a proper explanation of why Yuki Tsunoda was so comically out of place? I can give it, but it's, well, it is kind of comical, I suppose. So we have a safety car. And the safety car comes out, and the cars are where they are. And where they are is, I think, Tsunoda is just behind Russell as the safety car is coming out. And guess what he needed? My favorite thing, tires. So he dives into the pit lane, and because Russell is behind the safety car, but there's not the speed limit, he actually passes Russell and gets to the finish line before Russell, and technically now has unlapped himself from Russell, who had just passed him. So the FIA information now shows Tsunoda is unlapped, and he comes back out in fifth or sixth, and they don't fix the fact that Russell had lapped him again because he came out behind Russell from the pit lane. Now, 
my suggestion is really simple because on my F1 app, it showed him as, un, as, as lapped the whole time. My, their problem is their information is too good here. But also, this is a very edge case. It's not going to happen most places because the nature of the pit lane at Brazil made it easier. It cuts off so much of the track. Okay, I've got a question. What is the purpose of unlapping the cars or letting them unlap? Is it so they don't interfere with racing? Uh, that is correct. Okay. And sending them just to, to move over and let everyone overtake them and shuffle back in the correct order that they would have been if they'd done a lap causes a problem. Why? Uh, because then they don't do the correct number of laps. Uh, Brad? So the fact that they don't do the, the same number of laps, I don't think is a massive problem because they'll do the same number of laps as the people they're directly racing. I think the bigger issue is that they lose an unfair amount of time by, by the safety car coming out. And that means that there are cars that are now effectively a whole lap ahead of them that they would have been racing had the safety car not come out. So if you just drop them to the back, they're effectively losing even more time. If you see what I mean, a car that is about to be lapped gains a lap when the safety car comes out effectively. A car that has just been lapped would have been racing that car, but they are now a full lap behind their their direct competitors. So I think that's really why it's, it's fairer to allow them to overtake the safety car and catch back up so everyone is together however just to finish that point safety cars aren't fair at all anyway for Mm. a lot of people people who have built up legitimately huge gaps have them wiped out so Mm. safety cars aren't really there to be fair they're there to keep the marshals safe so i do take your point it would be much quicker to just drop them to the back why can't we drop them to the back and pretend that they did the whole lap and come back around stuffy is this like can we not is it imagination is free what if we all just put our fingers in our ears and pretended that they'd gone all the way around i agree with you to an extent spanners but you're also forgetting fuel every (laughs) fraction matters in f1 (sighs) and if they just drop to the back then they're also again at a disadvantage an, an unfair disadvantage because they've got an extra lap of fuel on their car okay. compared to the guys they but, but, just hang on but not rejoined, compared so. not compared to the other people who also had to pretend to do a, a lap <laughs> yeah but there's only certain tracks where half of the field gets lapped like mexico <sighs> most of the time it's only a okay four five okay. cars so i don't so. want to have to think for you but you have a button <laughs> that dumps one lap's worth of fuel right and a special little lay-by that they have to go to to get okay fine i feel like i'm losing i'm losing the crowd here but it is a very it, okay didn't we all get frustrated with how long it all took to shake out after the norris pulling over to the side brad surely there's a quicker way to get the action going i actually think i'm on your side spanners because i think I've given a case for why it's unfair that they, if they were dropped to the back, they're then not fighting their direct competitors. But if you're lapped, okay, sometimes the entire field gets lapped or people all the way up to the podium. But if you're lapped, you know, you're not racing at the front anyway. And, you know, sometimes life isn't fair. And sometimes there are more important races going on. And as I mentioned before, safety cars aren't fair anyway. Loads of people have had unfair stuff happen. The leader, for example, has lost a big lead. So maybe we add in something else, which, okay, technically it is potentially a little bit unfair, but it gets the race going straight away rather than having to wait for those cars to filter to the front and come all the way around. But I'm not wedded to either concept, so I, I don't really care. It'd just be nice if they got the race going again a little bit quicker. 
In regards to your comment there, Spanners, about why everything took so long, I, I don't know if anyone put two and two together, but the issue uh, at Monza, where we had the safety car finish the race, was due to the marshals not being able to move Danny Ricardo's car, get it into neutral. I don't know if it was the same scenario with Lando's car, but it seems a bit of a coincidence that it's both McLarens where they tried to move the car manually uh, because it was in a safe area. It was in a safe area to move in between the two corners so that the race should have started again without the need of a full safety car. But then they, I don't quite know what the reasons were. I don't know if it was because the car was still live. I think um, we were discussing beforehand, it was an electrical issue that caused his retirement. But it seems a bit of a coincidence that it's both McLarens have not been able to, the marshals haven't been able to move them, which is why then a full safety car was needed. We were just fortunate that there were plenty of laps left for it to, uh, get underway again. I like it. That's a good conspiracy theory, that. And as we've learned from the recent Red Bull drama, all conspiracy <laughs> theories are definitely true, Matt. Oh, well, hang on. I, oh, hang on. So I, we, I saw an aghast look from, from Brad there. That's just because it, you reminded me that there's that whole Perez Monaco topic <laughs> to talk about. And I really want to talk about it because I've now reviewed that footage loads of times. Like oh, I'm sure okay. A lot of people- okay. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll get to that in two topics time, Matt. Well, just briefly, I think it's coincidence that it was McLaren's. I, I think I've seen other cars that were broken in a way that I, I believe the marshals, there's supposed to be a manual override that they can put the car into neutral and move it. But I, but occasionally that doesn't work. And I think it's just coincidence. My pit lane suggestion is simply have the lapped cars enter the pit lane, stop before the timing loop. And after the last car has cleared the pit exit, then send them across the timing loop to catch up to the field. I think that would be the quickest logistical way to give them the lap and catch them back up to the field. So not my pull over and dump a lap's worth of fuel idea and then go back to the back of the pack. Did you even Uh, consider it? Um, I did actually, I thought that could be fun if they were forced to dump the fuel directly into the exhaust. So huge flame shot out while now, they were driving around. Now you're thinking, okay, this is only a little one. And then we will get to, uh, that Perez Monaco and, uh, the racing rules thing. Why, why was Kevin Magnuson just left on the side of the road? Poor Kevin. Uh, Matt, well, you tell us. Um, uh, because they forgot about him. Uh, I mean, literally, that seems to be the only explanation I've been able to find online. And this is why I was secretly giggling when Scott said, oh, well, surely they could just keep track of that extra dropped lap. I mean, they can't keep track of a driver wandering (laughs) around the infield. I think he tried to call a lift, but they refused to come get him. And um, eventually, if, if what I read online was right, the fans had to help him get back by cutting a hole in a fence and he had to no. walk through a public area and it, it was a real odyssey. Um, yeah, but basically Ricardo okay. took his spot in the medical car after putting him out of the race okay. and then they never came back to get him. Okay, so this is why we need helmet cam on every single car because you can imagine people like, okay, forget about the race. Let's watch Magnuson's adventures trying to get back and you had Hamilton. Well, what race was it that Hamilton had to traipse back? Was it Spa? Where he had to go back through the woods all the way back to the pits. Stuffy. Ocon had to take the the tube, didn't he, in Singapore after he crashed? That would have been a great one to see. (laughs) Brad. I think maybe the two drivers didn't want to share the same small backseat of a medical car. Maybe. Um, And so one was taken. The other one chose to wait and then realized that 
time wise they, they you know they don't tend to send the medical car back around it's quite slow by comparison to the f1 cars they want to get it going again and magnuson might have just wanted a bit of a rest and then it was too late to come and get it one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com even on a budget Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, you forget how big sort of racetracks are. Like, if you're ever in the general admission area and you go, oh, let's go and see such and such corner. Like, we went from, uh, you and me, Brad, we went from the Paddock Club, just drop that in there, and we went out to Maggots and Beckett's because I'd never seen it before, and it took a day to get there. And we cut across the middle. You know, we went oh, diagonally yeah. as well. Which so you, it yeah. could take way to walk the perimeter. Exactly. Okay, good. Well, let's move uh, on from that then to, to Brad because uh, – you did a great video on racing rules, but you've just mentioned there that you've reviewed the footage of the Monaco Grand Prix uh, where Sergio Perez had an accident that basically kept him ahead of uh, of Max Verstappen. And uh, it wasn't for pole position, but it meant that Verstappen, amongst others, couldn't set another lap. So I want to put this in context, really. The controversy here is, do drivers deliberately crash in qualifying in order to give themselves an advantage. Now, we've had two cases of drivers only getting like second or third or whatever. And you go, well, why would you crash, you know, not for pole? But I want to make this one thing clear, which is that there are a few drivers on the grid for whom beating their teammate is much, much more important than the overall position. So for Perez, after Barcelona, he would likely have been looking at, right, I need to beat and get a result against Verstappen. No one is judging Perez for how well he secures third. Okay, they're all looking at whether he can beat Verstappen, especially that early in the season. For George Russell, I completely believe that George Russell uh, is has got all eyes on Lewis Hamilton when it comes to qualifying. We saw that as well at the start in Cota, where he ended up dinging with Carlos Sainz. And you could just see, you could just sense that he was looking right to cover off uh, Lewis Hamilton and then didn't see the battle head and ended up just plowing into into Carlos Sainz. And, and, and F1 drivers are defined with their performance against teammates. So this isn't surprising. But if the rumours are true that Sergio Perez deliberately crashed at Monaco, 
to gain himself an advantage in qualifying, then I come to the completely logical conclusion that every single time a driver has crashed in qualifying and it's benefited them, it has been definitely on purpose. So I will go to Brad, our driver expert, and I will posit to you, uh, Perez did it on purpose, therefore also Bottas did that one time against Hamilton, Rosberg did in Monaco, and also Russell's one this past weekend was definitely deliberate as well. And so, and Leclerc at Monaco, was it last year or the year before, where he ended up busting his gearbox was an example of that going wrong. It's deliberate every time. And here's my proof, Brad. See, see if you like this proof. We will ban that practice by disqualifying anyone who causes a red flag in any qualifying session. You get, you get disqualified straight away. Do you think the incidents of people crashing in qualifying and gaining an advantage will completely disappear? Because I think it would. So I have a lot to say on this and I'll try not to talk for too long. Go for it. I agree, Go for it. I agree with you in a large number of ways, but I just want to make this, I want to make it clear how I exactly agree with you. So let's answer your question first. If we, uh, if we ban or if we disqualify people who cause a red flag in qualifying, will it stop it? It won't because you could also cause yellow flags. So you'd need to be, you need to be quite careful about how you worded that. Um, and would we extend that to mechanical failures that can be demonstrated to be genuine, you know, an engine failure, whatever? We'd need to look at that in more detail. But there's definitely some way we could adopt the IndyCar rule. Uh, and I don't know how they deal with those situations in IndyCar. I reckon it's probably if you cause a red flag and it's your fault. But maybe they do just have a blanket. If your car causes it, then your lap time gets deleted. And maybe that's a, an easy way to deal with all situations. So, yes, I think that's a very good idea. We should have imp- implemented that ages ago then we wouldn't be sitting in this position. The next place I want to address what you said is all of those people that you that you highlighted. So some of them definitely were deliberate. Oh. And just, I mean, I don't know how I can prove this to everyone aside from saying, trust me, I know what I'm looking at. But in, I'll give some examples. Rosberg, definitely deliberate. And you can tell that just from watching his steering movements, a world-class driver doesn't do what he did with the steering wheel. It was obvious he was trying to make the car lock up and failed. He actually failed to do the thing, had total control of his car, and at the end of the braking zone, gave it a big stab on the brakes and forced it to go off. Sorry, go on, Spanish. No, no, I've I've hit my mic in excitement because I I have a question which I think is really good, which is how would you make that car uh, deliberately lock? Is it by putting enough steering lock on or too much steering lock on so it locks on one side, you're unloading the inside tyre? Yeah, you you try and apply the brakes whilst you're steering, exactly. Um, And he was doing that at a point where you wouldn't be doing that normally. And I remember a very clear comment from Hamilton afterwards where he said to the media just after the session, I wish you guys could see what I've just seen, which was implying he's seen Rosberg's data, which clearly shows an abnormal application of the brakes or steering. So anyway, he saw that. He knew that. Right. Next one. Uh, Bottas at Austria. Was it two years ago? Um, or was it last year? I think it might have been a few years ago, actually. Well, that I can't remember the actual off. Certainly the direction he took to get back to the track ensured that the yellow flag was for as many sectors as possible and for as long as possible. So that looked to me to be deliberate. And I won't go through all of them, but let's go for just two more and we'll, and we'll end with the Perez one. Leclerc at Monaco last year looked deliberate to me, looked like a clumsy error. If it wasn't deliberate, it was almost certainly a banzai caution to the wind. I don't care if I crash. And I think I said that at the time. But again, it looked to me to be 
deliberate. It went wrong, obviously, because his car broke them for the race. So that is the danger you have of causing a red rather than a yellow or hitting something rather than just spinning. So on to Perez, the, the one that it seems Verstappen might be annoyed about. Yeah. This wasn't for a pole. So that's the first thing that makes it slightly strange that he would do this. But I have, I have some reasons yeah. that it might have. To, be, to beat Max. To, um, um, unlike Max's reasons that he doesn't want to give, I'm willing to give you the reasons I think it is. The data that I've seen, if it's real, and it, I don't know if it's been verified, Matt is sh- uh, nodding his head. So maybe it is God, real. God, Matt, is it real? Well, I actually have a very big question about it, but we can get to that after okay, Brad okay, finishes. Okay. okay, so the data I've seen shows a very early and heavy application of the throttle, earlier than you should do or earlier than his previous laps at uh, that corner. And normally it looks from his trace that in previous laps or his best lap that was being compared against, it's a very smooth throttle application through that corner. And on this lap, it was nothing like that. It was 100% almost instantly and then off the throttle as he lost the rear. He also made zero attempts to correct the slide, which is normally something that you couldn't prevent a driver from doing. Normally, your natural reaction is to apply opposite lock and turn into a slide. Uh, you know, even if it's futile, you do it anyway. You do it until you know it's, there's no chance that you can save the car, you would apply opposite lock. And at no point does Perez come remotely close to applying any opposite lock. So that's the biggest red flag to me. Um, and, and yeah, and anyway, the fact he then sits there and doesn't drive away, there's a big period of time <laughs> where he, where if it was me, I'm watching the video and I'm thinking down to first gear, go, you know, you want to just get out of the way as quick as possible, but he doesn't, he sits there. So at the very least, the blocking the track after the crash was deliberate. But Matt, tell us what you, what your question was about the data. Well, uh, the things that I've seen, one is listen to the throttle. And immediately what I remember is that the audio lags the video. So the timing based on listening, I'm just going to say it cannot be conclusive because we know they don't line up. As far as the telemetry goes, I'm very curious as to how that telemetry is derived. And I'll explain my reasoning here. On the way down to that corner, I would swear I heard him get wheel spin at a certain point. And so if he turns the corner and applies the throttle smoothly, but his tires are overheated and start to spin, they are no longer providing any resistance to the engine. So that should cause the RPMs to skyrocket because they're not overcoming anything. They're literally, it's like when you uh, spin it up on a jack stand or something like that. And if that's the case, if the throttle telemetry is derived from engine RPMs, it might not be accurate because I don't know where this, I, I, the data I've seen doesn't come from Red Bull, where I think they measure the actual application of pressure on the throttle. It comes from like this other data package. So I, I would just want to be sure that it was really measuring his actual throttle op application and not sort of the engine, like, like when you get on ice, for example. I would be very surprised if they measure any throttle data, even on a basic data system from engine revs, because the tone of the engine obviously is totally dependent on RPM. And that uh, for most of the most of the throttle range is going to be it's going to be completely disconnected from what you're doing with the pedal. You could have exactly the same RPM sound, but be doing an entirely different thing with the throttle um, because it, the tone of the revs doesn't really relate so i i would be surprised if that's the case but i do agree that the picture of the data 
it's, it's so spiky. It's such a straight line. It maybe it's maybe it's inaccurate at the point the car gets switched off. Maybe the car is off too soon to have an accurate throttle position sensor at that point. I don't know the answer, but taking it at face value, a lot of other professional drivers that have seen that same piece of data have said the same thing. Um, that based on that data, if it's real and the video that I've seen, it looks deliberate. So the bigger question then is, why would you do that for third place? Because it was a preventing Verstappen stuffy, surely. I yeah, being really cynical now. I'm a big fan of Checo, but I think people are underestimating how burnt Checo was at Barca. The whole at yeah. Barcelona. Yeah, he got into first position really due to his own accord. He was he had a fair amount of lead ahead of Verstappen. Yes, he was catching, but it looked. I don't think Max had really that much of a pace advantage to easily overtake Perez. And they asked him, mm. if, I think people, think people forget, this is very early on in the season as well. And he'd made a good Perez start. He'd made a good start. Perez yeah. had made a good start. He'd shown pace. He'd already got a pole position at Saudi Arabia. And then being asked to let your teammate over like that, I think this was a little bit of a two-finger salute to the Red Bull team. This was something that it was in his control. And Brad, you said when he came onto the radio as well, if you listen to it back, that doesn't sound like a man who's just known he's made a mistake. That sounds like something that is a little bit, like the tone of his voice just doesn't come across like a man. Oh, rubbish. I've, 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 I've lost it here in shock. And then obviously he gets shunted by, uh, by Carlos Sainz, but it just, it doesn't quite all add up. And F1 drivers have done cynical things in the past. It's not and- just F1 drivers, right? It's all drivers. Look, Matt, it, yeah. it, they're all dri- Like we've learned, haven't we? These last few years, drivers are weird. Well, yeah, and they they understand how to take advantages we often can't even see. But I will say, if I'm Perez, and I did that on accident, I might be tempted to tell my team I did it on purpose anyway, <laughs> just because. Oh my gosh, how embarrassing is that? That's quite that's quite a good take. But look, in all of these things, like whenever you say, "Oh, maybe he did it on purpose," maybe he crashed on purpose, uh, 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 maybe he left his foot in, you do get this kind of "Oh, but he's not that kind of." driver he's not like that and it's like when there's a murderer and they interview the neighbors and the neighbor always goes oh he were, he were ever so quiet I, I can't believe he's done it he just kept himself to himself i i think that all race drivers potentially have this kind of thing in them brad brad i, I i've gotten to know you well i think you would sometimes do this if it suited you i would definitely do everything in my power to to get a result if if i could justify it in my head we had this exact same scenario when leclerc crashed at monaco yeah everyone said no i can't believe you're suggesting that was deliberate he would never do that he's such a nice guy that's not in his character and i i had the same thought that you've just expressed there yeah they would all do something like this in a split second if they thought they could get away with it and people wouldn't suspect them and the cleaner you are as a driver the more squeaky clean your image is the more leeway you think you're going to get. If everyone so you- thinks you are a really correct moral driver on the racetrack, not on Twitter. No one thinks that of you on Twitter. But I've seen you cheat. I've just, I've, you're a, in my opinion, you're a world-class driver. I've seen you cheat. And every single time you've got, you've justified it. Yeah, I, I can't think of a time where you might have seen that. But. <laughs> of course not. I, I just think it's ubiquitous in racing drivers. So also, we have this situation where I was thinking, 
well, really, would Perez hold that much of a grudge against Verstappen from Barcelona? But then you think, well, hang on, Verstappen has held a grudge for like the whole season and he even won the championship and he's still holding that grudge. So, yes, drivers do feel that strongly about certain things and want to assert their dominance in, in certain times and positions. And I can also see Perez potentially maybe not saying explicitly, hey, I did that on purpose, but maybe saying something along the lines of maybe maybe he's not been getting on with Helmut Marco or something in a particular um, situation and saying to him to his face, see, I can be a little bit of a beep as well. And then walking off, you know, like you're making a point that, ha, see, you can't you can't get me for this, but I'm capable of this too. So just remember that. And maybe that's what's stuck in their minds. I just quickly touching on the fact that drivers would do anything to gain an advantage. It happens in the sim, sim racing world as well. Anyone will take, when they're, when they're racing for money, anyone will take an advantage that they can get, especially if they can get away with it. And going on to Max now, I mean, how incredibly short-sighted is this man? It's, it's for a nothing position. He's got the most wins ever in a season. He's got the most points. He's got two championships wrapped up. And what you're really still holding on to a grudge from Monaco. Can you not look at the bigger picture and all these comments after the race as well, just really aired to me, a man that is standing there going, I run this team. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Christian Horner and Helmut Marco mm. deal with this now, because to me, this is a culmination of surrounding a driver with yes people. They've never said no to Verstappen. They've never told him he's wrong. And this is what it's got to. Yet Max Verstappen with what seems like control of a team that I haven't seen since Schumacher. Certainly, I think Hamilton does not have that same control uh, at Mercedes. And he definitely didn't have that same con control at McLaren. I, th I don't think even Vettel had that control at, at Red Bull. And, and as a driver that has now picked up his second world championship, I don't know if I've ever known anyone in F1 since I've been watching to be less happy as an F1 world champion. So just remember, there is a, a human being at the core of that, a fairly young human being as well, who has had an awful lot of negative attention from these two world, uh, these world titles. And, and that is people expressing their opinions and i think you know some of those opinions are more valid than others but that has very clearly weighed heavily on him you could see by the media blackout of sky uh, from ted kravitz's uh, comments that weren't even about verstappen they were about how it affected lewis hamilton so we do have to appreciate that yes the human being max verstappen has been very very affected by all the negativity and then that embargo also came at the heart of the cost cap which again, completely out of his hands, uh, but but just muddied the sport for for weeks and weeks. See, I've got a theory that I think if he didn't make contact with Lewis Hamilton and his race didn't go the way, it oh, did, that's a great point. He, yeah. would, we would not even be talking about this with this. Let's say the scenario did arise, the same, but he hasn't made contact with Lewis. I think he lets Checo through. Uh, I don't mm. think we see any of this come to the boil. He he might still not have let Checo through, but he definitely would have not come onto the radio. I still think he was seeing red, and that was an angry man throughout the duration of that race. Uh, now you've you've brought us on to our, our next topic before we look at Abu Dhabi stuffy. Um, obviously, we've looked at that incident in, in great detail, and Kyle was 
trying to kind of mitigate it, wishing that, that Lewis Hamilton had perhaps left more room. I think the rest of the panel on the race review kind of thought that it was a little bit out of Hamilton's hands anyway, and it was a bit of a two-footed lunge, and I, I'm happy to stick by that. But um, I think it tells us a lot about uh, racing rules in general. And what we didn't do on the race review was compare it to some previous events. I know you've got some insight on that. Stuffy. Apologies, I thought you was going on to Brad. No, because I know Brad's (laughs) going to do his racing rules and stuff like that. But obviously, a lot of people have been looking at things like Verstappen and Ocon uh, a couple of years ago, where where Ocon was a a lapped car unlapping himself, and Verstappen was pretty much in the Hamilton position. Yes, yeah. So when you look at it, it's it's almost identical positions. We were chatting about this before we went live. Uh, But the big factor that wasn't really, that is different here is the speed that was carried by necessarily the over the initial overtaking car in this instance with max and ocon it was ocon unlapping himself and then max i think also partly thinking that well no hang on i'm the leader here <laughs> you've got to give up like, the, the place turns in and it's almost really exactly the same like picture on picture and max lost his absolute rag oh, over he, it oh this is the one where he shoved him yes yeah uh, because ocon yeah. was ocon was on like two lap old soft tires max was obviously long into a stint yeah so the ocon delta was, was un- massive yeah exactly and rather than just let ocon go he thinks no no one's overtaking me regardless of who you are and what position you're in and yeah that's um that's where obviously they collided kind of similar situation with hamilton and max but the difference there was the speed that max carried onto the exit of the corner um which i know then Brad has got lots to talk about in regards to that move itself. It's the the racing rules, uh, Brad. And in in the podcast, I said, well, at least we've got some rules. At least we've got some rules where we can play you are the referee, but they're not perfect. To start with, I do agree. I think they are a step in the right direction. At least we have some, some rules. I think what is a step in the right direction is that there are rules that they seem to be trying to mm. consistently enforce. I think the rules are the wrong rules, though. And this oh, I pointed this out go. in my YouTube video I made after Silverstone, where we saw plenty of kind of shoving off track that on the face of it looked like it wasn't really on, but it was adjudicated to be legal. And when you look at the wording of the rules, it was legal Because essentially, depending on the exact position, whether you're on the outside or the inside, or whether you're the attacker or the defender, there are certain scenarios where you don't have to leave any room or the onus is on one one car or the other to completely back out. And I think it complicates things because I don't think any of us would have known immediately, looking at that Hamilton-Verstappen situation, who was technically at fault by the rules. Because that scenario, normally, in the past, I would have said, the outside car, Hamilton, turned in on the inside car. And the reason that I didn't say that this time is because the rules don't, don't necessarily say that because the pass wasn't completed. So that pass that Verstappen attempted at turn one, it didn't end. He didn't get in front and he wasn't clear of Hamilton. And that then means that by the new rules, the clarification, he isn't really entitled to space at the next corner. And so Hamilton not leaving him a full car, which he nearly did. He very nearly did. He actually left more room than Verstappen left Ocon. But it, it technically, Verstappen deserved the penalty. And so that's why I came out in defence of Hamilton, because all he's doing is kind of playing by the rules as set out now. 
just to finish the point, the reason that I think this is particularly silly as a rule is it's become too specific based on whether you're outside, inside, ahead or behind. And in a move like this, you could be ahead and behind at different points, just as Verstappen was. He got ahead of Hamilton, but he didn't fully clear him. But in most overtaking moves, that isn't necessarily going to happen until after the corner is completely finished. So I think we should just have one rule which says at all times you have to leave the other driver space and it doesn't matter if you're outside or inside attacking or defending. Yeah, I think the thing is with that move as well, when initially watching it, I originally thought Hamilton should have left Max a little bit more room there. He's he's cut his nose off. But and, and but then obviously the stewards have got the telemetry, they've got the data and seen that Max was carrying just too much speed from the angle of attack through that corner that it didn't really matter how much room Hamilton did leave him. While I still think, me personally, I know I've only got sim racing to compare it to, I always at least try and leave a car's whip so that I continue my race. I want the longevity of my race. Like If someone overtakes me there and then, I, I can always get them back. Of course, there's history with Max and Lewis, but on TV cameras, on TV footage, it didn't look like he carried that much, considerably more speed. But the data clearly showed otherwise, but it didn't matter how much room Lewis left him, he still would have made contact with Lewis unless Lewis backed out. But it wasn't really Max to do that. It was Max to back out, not Lewis. So I also agree with you, Stuffy. I think Lewis should have left a little bit more room because then it would have been clearer the overspeed that Verstappen was carrying. If Hamilton had left a car width and a little bit more, He'd have left room for Verstappen to kind of understeer into, and then they still made contact. This wouldn't even be in question. Everyone could, there wouldn't be any argument to say that Hamilton should have left room. The penalty Verstappen received, it would have been more obviously deserved because only one car clearly hit another car despite having been, been left space. So I think it would have been wise for Hamilton to do that, but he nearly did. So he probably just misjudged it very slightly. So one easy way to solve that problem uh, is just simply to go for a four wheels on rule. If you're the outside car, you have to leave four wheels if you're alongside going into a corner. And if you're the inside car on exit, you also have to leave four wheels if you're alongside in the corner. It's very simple, but it still lets a driver squeeze a little bit, which I think is a racing tactic that, that, is worth not throwing out with the bathwater because the other option is to say you have to leave as much room as possible, which would get rid of collisions, but would also, but would essentially mean that you you get a lot of no decisions coming out of corners. To me, even beyond the speed though, the angle Max was exiting that corner showed me that he was going all the way to the outside curb, regardless of where Hamilton was. So I didn't even need the speed to see that. Well, this is the thing, isn't it, is that we don't get these discussions and these topics at street tracks or tracks where there's, where there's yeah. walls. We don't yeah. get this at Canada, as an example, and we, we get great racing because there's a physical object mm. there to stop this <laughs> tactic from happening. Got, got um, to stop you there, 2019. Was it 2019 Vettel? In the one place where the technical track limits on the outside, I think, of the third chicane actually aren't the wall. There's a, a line there, which uh, I think ended up being the reason why Vettel uh, got a penalty. What, the, uh, what when he came, went over the grass? Yeah, no, when he went over the grass. Yeah, he went over the grass. He squeezed Hamilton. Hamilton had space to the well, wall, was... but the actual track limits was the line. And that's the only place 
uh, where the line was uh, the track limit and not the barrier. Well, yeah, Hamilton had to back out, didn't he? Because yeah. otherwise he was going to end up in a wall. Um, so it's it's only really at, at these circuits where we don't have walls stopping the cars for Wait, guys uh, doing this. Are you so. calling for 25 street circuits per season? That's what Stuffy no, says. I'm just, I'm just saying put walls everywhere yeah that's the- <laughs> and then we won't get this but no the, the, matt why don't the faa just go simple sometimes you don't need to overcomplicate things the simple yeah. answer is the best solution chris can we get a cut out of uh, of stuffy for social media saying that we need to put walls everywhere so i i'm get, <laughs> the clip has to be me asking should we just do 25 street circuits and stuffy going there's walls everywhere yeah but in the final edit that that joke won't context be. No. manners context that's why this is a fully edited <laughs> show okay uh finally then let's just look forward to abu dhabi does anyone care about the battle for second place show of hands if anyone's invested stuffy you're invested in the battle for second place no i was i was trying to say that I don't know why anyone is is bothered. It seems Red Bull are the only team <laughs> that is bothered because they've never done it in history before. But let's be honest, no one cares. Charles Leclerc doesn't give... Uh, he wanted any... the position swapped though, didn't he, on Sunday? Or was that an excuse? Because it's a podium, isn't it? Ah, he gets on the, good point. He gets yeah. on the podium and he gets, a nice tro- he gets a trophy and probably a bonus as well. He's probably got a bonus of finishing on the podium. But no, no one cares, <laughs> do we? Brad, Matt. I care because it lends additional context to what we saw at Brazil. It it means that Max not letting Perez through at Brazil, if Perez now doesn't finish second, it makes it more obvious that that was consequential and that, you know, the thing he did has had consequences at the next race. So it kind of adds to the needle. So um, it, it's more of a soap opera, um, depending on what happens. So I, I care a little bit. Are you secretly a producer on Drive to Survive, Brad? <laughs> That's the one. Matt. Well, I love this. They are tied on points right now. If they both crash out of the race, Leclerc gets second and Red Bull does not get its, is it maybe it's only one to finish in this regulation set? Russell, Russell can also come second, I think. I think he is 25 points behind. Oh, fastest lap. Oh, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure I saw Sean Kelly, F1 Statman, tweet and Russell. Yes, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Post. 25 behind. So, yeah, so he got fastest lap and won. He's got second. Uh, but that would, that would maybe, that would need a favour from Lewis Hamilton. Does Hamilton do it, Matt? Wow. Hamilton's got previous on this. He did give Bottas a podium. He gave the place back, even though he was in a championship fight. Here's the thing. If it's for the win, then that would be Lewis's first of the season. Yes, and only season. And his streak would stay alive. So I don't see that happening. And I see Mercedes being okay with it. But you're all talking about the wrong race for second place. (laughs) Mercedes is only 19 points behind Ferrari. And there's an immense amount of testing time up for grabs if Ferrari can successfully tank. (laughs) This very last race. It's the race to the bottom, though, isn't it? It's not a race for victory, is it? Like, basically, who cares out of Ferrari and Mercedes about the 20 million difference between those positions? I think they care about the tunnel time more. I think they do care about the tunnel time more. But if that doesn't excite you, I've done a little homework. Alpha Tauri trails Haas by two points. Aston trails Alpha by five points. Alonso and Ocon, five points apart. Ooh, That's a little spicy yes. because I've seen three times now... Alpine undercut uh, 
Ocon when he's ahead with Alonso. So, so that's an interesting thing. Ricardo and Vettel, one point apart. You know Ricardo wants that <laughs> spot. Uh, Gasly and Magnussen, two points apart. And Tsunoda and Schumacher are tied. So, like, there's loads of personal battles, depending upon who your, who your driver is, to be invested in for this race. Stuffy. Um, I was thinking as well, it's just come to me, that we're going to see a lot of farewells this last race. We're seeing saying goodbye to Sebastian Vettel. Aww. Potentially, it could be Daniel, Daniel Ricciardo's last ever be. F1 race be. if he doesn't come back in 24. Benotto. <laughs> <laughs> Bradley! Well, Bradley! <laughs> I, can, I can top you there, Brad. Um, we're going to see the end of Gotifi. Yeah, that's well. Favourite, guys. Nicholas Latifi's last race. Um, Mick Schumacher true. is most likely to not um, retain his Haas seat. Who knows if he'll ever get an opportunity again. Um, so, yeah, and a few farewells this, this last race. And it might be Brad Philpott's last ever appearance on Mist Apex, if you're able to do the Abu Dhabi race review, because I know you've got your own breakaway podcast um, where the sound quality always sounds like an iPhone from a hotel room. So go subscribe to that hot garbage. Uh, so I'm going to try and do Abu Dhabi. It, it depends on whether or not I have to be back here. I'm currently in Montpellier in the south of France doing some tyre testing and the tyres for next week might or might not have turned up today <laughs> at the track and we're Love waiting it. on an email. <laughs> they have turned up. Unfortunately, I have to fly okay. back to France Sunday night or early Monday morning, which would preclude me from taking part. I would love to be on because... No, I no, think no. Like- we, we can sort of sub you for Van Jean, who's fine if you can't make it. Uh, but what's... Uh, uh, go on. You mentioned Rogue, not a podcast. So, sure, go yeah, for it, go for it. When- Generally, uh, Alex Van G and I are recording just a very casual, poorly produced chat called Full Chat about Formula One. Can't do it this week or next week because I'm here in France, but we are doing a Twitter space tonight if you want to come and take part in that. 10 p.m. UK time. Okay, so pod fade already. Interesting. Matt, should we put a a link to those guys in the show notes below? Uh, We can do that. And also, Matt would like to advertise a gig if you are in the New York, Brooklyn area. Indeed, I will be playing with the New York City Ska Orchestra this Friday at 636 Washington Avenue. I think we hit around 738 o'clock and it will be climate controlled. There'll be a roof and some heaters so you don't freeze all your important bits off. Yeah, but that does mean going somewhere in real life. If you want to follow Scott Tuffy, Stuffy, you don't have to go anywhere in real life. You can just do the internet. Where on the internet should we go, Scott? Uh, Over to YouTube. Um, TikTok. Twitter. I'm. I'm very. You was a. Uh, you was boasting earlier on that you've just hit fifteen thousand, fifteen k, baby. And Ooh. not once have you shared my account. So I am very. Uh, we have. have oh, we haven't shared the Twitter account, Matt. Can we make sure no, we, we share Stuffy's we? Twitter account in the show notes below? Go and give yep. Stuffy a, a follow because he is on a very pathetic three hundred. Even with a face like that. He is only at 300 Twitter followers. And with my Malteser-shaped face that looks like it's been dropped behind the back of a sofa, I'm able to, to get up to 15. What's gone? Brad's going to ruin it. What are you on, Brad? I'm racing towards 20,000, <laughs> but I'm not there yet. I've got another 1,500 to go. But I, I, after a lot of controversial or yeah. accurate comments over the last weekend at Brazil, I gained a good few hundred. Okay. So we're up to 18 and a half, I think. But, but I've got to 15 and have been sort of quite nice. So... Let's see. Let's well, see. Let's see you emulate that. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
do, thank you very much go and follow me uh, on twitter as well at spanners ready brad is nice in real life i promise don't judge him by his twitter go and follow me uh, at spanners ready or the show at mr apex f1 thank you to everybody who's followed me on twitter Fifteen thousand feels like a, a lot of followers for a grunt in a shed um but i do appreciate it and i've really really enjoyed my twitter interactions so thank you for the chats about f1 to everyone who follows me on twitter and to of course to the patrons in the patron slack group as well we are going to be back on sunday for a race review uh, from about 8 p.m uk time but wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast You are sort of mean on Twitter, Brad. Only towards the team that blocked me. <laughs> Which team blocked you? Red Bull. Literally, Red Bull, Red Bull blocked you. No way. Is that an actual for reals? Yeah. You need to post that on Twitter. I did. I did. It got uh, loads of likes. Oh. I didn't see it. Oh, I'm I'm followed by Mercedes, so I assume that they completely endorse everything I say on Miss Apex podcast. I'm impressed. <laughs> Okay, I forgot to press stop recording so everyone's hearing this. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 